0: Here's the good news and the great encouragement. God has always told you exactly what He thinks. You can pick up His Word and know that if He's made you a promise, that promise will never change.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington, Tom is pastor teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom is continuing his series titled The One Another's. Jesus told his followers to love one another. Last time we looked at the four types of attitudes you are to have in your love towards other believers. Unity, humility, peace, and affection. Today, Tom will examine another way God commands believers to love one another, through their speech. But how can your speech, the words that you use, and the tone in which you say them, build someone up in their spiritual health and growth? On today's program, Tom will begin teaching the first of the three basic commands on how your speech can indeed build one another up in the Lord. So friend, open your Bible as we join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed.
0: I want him to start by giving you a test. Now some of you are in school, in college, or other schools of various sorts, and you're not necessarily interested in another test, but let me give you this test. You can ignore the message if you have never done any of these things. Just give yourself a little test. Lied or directly denied what you knew to be the truth told the truth in a way intended to purposefully mislead someone else, misreported your income on your tax return, taken tax deductions that weren't legitimate, misrepresented the quality of your old car to a potential buyer, misreported to the Department of Motor Vehicles the purchase price of the car in order to save taxes kept the extra change that a cashier mistakenly gave you if you've never exaggerated your past accomplishments you know I think the older we get we need to get one of those shirts I saw once that says the older I get the better I was (laughs) if you've never exaggerated the faults of others if you've never repeated an unsubstantiated negative or critical comment about somebody else if you've never inflated your education or other credentials on a job application if you've never inflated your office expense accounts records if you've never charged personal expenses to your expense account if you've never misrepresented to clients the quality of your product or its actual cost you've never failed to actually work the hours you were paid to work by the way this is a huge problem in our culture survey I read a number of years ago reported that 80% of employees do this to the tune of three hours and 45 minutes a week. If you've never worked on unapproved personal projects on company time or equipment, if you've never called in sick to work or school when you weren't, if you've never forged your parent's signature on a note to the school, if you've never cheated on a test, if you've never plagiarized someone else's material, never told a teacher... That you read a book that you merely skimmed, never made up an excuse in order to cover yourself, never made foolish promises you had no intention of keeping, falsely accused someone of something, betrayed a confidence, failed to keep a promise to your spouse, children, or anyone else, allowed your behavior to intentionally mislead someone else, told someone that you would pray for them and didn't. Failed to acknowledge a sin when confronted. Or here's one that gets us all. Purposefully tried to act more spiritual than you know yourself to be. You know, by a biblical definition, all of those things that I've just read to you and many more, those are just a few samples, are different forms of lying. As you can see, not being truthful is pervasive in the human condition. That's what Paul says, isn't it? In his indictment of all humanity in Romans chapter 3. You remember in Romans 3, he begins with those general expressions of depravity. Romans 3:10, there is none righteous, not even one, none who understands, none who seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become useless, none who does good, not even one. And when he gets to specifics, the very first sin that he identifies, is in Romans 3.13, and it's lying. He says, their throat is an open grave, and with their tongues, they keep deceiving. That, folks, is what we are by nature. But we have been redeemed, and the constant message of Scripture is that those who know God must deal only in the truth. We're studying the New Testament commands that we usually refer to as the one-anothers. We're looking not at every one of them, but at the vast majority of them. And we've organized most of the 50 or so commands that we're to be or to do something to one another into four categories. And I've labeled those four categories as, number one, motivation. Our motive is to be loved. Number two, occupation. We are to be occupied with serving and building others up. Last week, we looked at orientation, how are we to think about others, and today, we come to the fourth category, conversation. You see, the Scripture has a lot to say about our words. The problems with our tongue, the sins of our speech, that is how we tear each other down with our words. It's hard for me to use that expression without thinking of a number of years ago. One of our girls said something that was less than kind to another one of our girls, and Sheila asked them, Girls, are we supposed to tear each other down with our words? Well, oh no, one answered right away with a very proud smile. Oh no, we're not supposed to tear each other down. We're supposed to tear each other up. You know, unfortunately, a lot of Christians think exactly like that. Now, as we examine what the one another's command us about our speech, about our tongue, we learn primarily how we should speak and how we are supposed to use our tongues. You see, James told us the destructive power of the tongue, the one another's point to the constructive power of the tongue. The same tongue that can tear other people down or up, whichever you like, is the same tongue that can, by God's grace, Build others up. The unregenerate tongue, as we learned, is like a drawn sword, eager to wound and to kill and to maim. But the believer's tongue can become a trowel in the hand of God to build others up, to build up the lives around us. This is what we're commanded to do. I want us to look at the big picture. Of the fact that our tongues can be constructive before we look at specifically how they can be constructive in Ephesians 4 verse 29 this verse sets out for us the tone for all communication regardless of its context whether in the family or in the church or at work or wherever it is this is what our communication is to be like This verse lays out for us the foundational mandate that should govern the content of what we say in literally every human relationship. Notice what he says in verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, no rotten word, but only such a word, only, notice that, exclusively, such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Notice that expression, only such a word as is good for edification. It literally means to build a structure, to build a building. But figuratively, it refers to building others up. Well, the ways we build others up, there really are only two ways we can build others up. One of those is by our example, But the primary way we build others up is with our words. And that's what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4.29. You are to use your mouth for edification, to build others up. Our tongues are supposed to be instruments in God's hands that build one another up or promote each other's spiritual health and growth. We are to speak in such a way. As to build others up. Now, how can we do that? How is it that we can use our tongues to build others up? Well, when we examine the passages in the New Testament and the commands, the one another's that deal with speech, how we're to speak to one another, you discover that there are essentially three basic commands concerning how we should speak to each other. And if we obey those three basic commands, we will build up one another by what we say. And so we're going to look at those three commands of how to use our tongues to build others up. Because the first one is such an important theme in Scripture, and because it's so contrary to our nature and who we are as unbelievers and to our flesh as believers, I want us to spend our time looking only at the first one in great detail. The first command is, be truthful. Be truthful. Now, this is absolutely foundational. Turn back just a couple of verses there to Ephesians 4, if you're still in in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Here is one of those verses in the New Testament that drives home this responsibility to each other. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Notice he begins with the word therefore, which, of course, connects it to the context. Just before this, Paul has been laying out those great principles of sanctification. How is it that you and I as Christians are made more like Christ It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen by a divine spiritual zap. It happens by our seeking to do and experience three realities. Essentially, our responsibility in sanctification, or the process, maybe a better way to say it, of sanctification, involves three parts. The first is to put off. Put off. Verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside or put off the old self. You've been made a new person, he says. I want you to take off the clothes that are suited only to the old person you used to be. Verse 23 is the second part. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And the third part is in verse 24, put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Paul is saying there was a spiritual reality that happened at the moment of your salvation. The old you died and a new you was brought to life by Jesus Christ. But you still retain your flesh. There's still a part of you that remains unredeemed. And you must, throughout life, be in the process of putting off those things that are a part of who you used to be and a part of that flesh, of being renewed in your thinking, by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and then putting on the virtue that should be in the place of that vice. So that's the context. He says, therefore, verse 25, now that you understand that process, let me apply it to one very specific sin, laying aside falsehood. Stop there for a moment. Here's the first part. Here's the, here's the application of the principles he gave in the preceding verses, to the issue of how we use our tongues he says i want you to lay aside falsehood the word picture behind lay aside is what you and i would do with a piece of clothing if i were to take off my coat and lay it here on the stage that's the greek word i laid it aside in fact it's used this way of taking off clothing in Acts 758 where we're told that after they had driven Stephen out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. It simply means to lay aside. This became a common New Testament picture or description of the process of sanctification, of becoming holy. Now, the Greek tense, or the tense of the Greek verb here for lay aside, could be translated something like this. Be done with lying. Take it off once and for all. Now, that doesn't mean that you, in a moment, are never tempted to lie again and and never choose to lie again. What it means is this. You reach a decisive point in your life as a Christian when you come to understand that God hates this, that it's wrong, and you make a determination, a resolve, to lay it aside in your life and pursue the truth. Specifically, here the believer is to lay aside as a coat the practice of in any way distorting the truth. And instead, notice what Paul says he's to do. Speak the truth. Now you'll notice that the word speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, are in all capitals in our New American Standard, and that's because it's a quotation from the Old Testament. Specifically, this is quoted from the Septuagint translation of Zechariah 8.16, where God is telling his people through the prophet Zechariah that they are to manifest their repentance by speaking truth with one another. Now, in this case, this is interesting, in this case, the verb tense of speak truth describes a continual habit which characterizes the life. So we are to decide to lay off the falsehood, and then we are, by a practice of habit, Be speaking the truth as a habit of life. This verse, by the way, encapsulates that principle of sanctification we just read about in the previous verses, doesn't it? Lay aside, be renewed, and put on. You know what Paul is saying? I want you to stop lying. I want you to stop the falsehood. Stop being deceitful. Stop doing those things. Lay it aside. Make a determination to stop. Then I want you to be renewed in your thinking. That is, I want you to search out the Scripture and allow the Spirit of God through the Word of God to change your thinking about lying, to change your thinking about the truth, and to give you a fresh resolve and desire to pursue it. And then I want you to pursue the path of obedience. I want you to speak the truth. Be speaking the truth. Listen, folks. This is where our part of sanctification comes in. We have to pursue the path of obedience. And as we try to obey, as you and I determine to try to tell the truth, and when we catch ourselves in the midst of a lie, we stop ourselves and correct immediately with that person. No, that's not entirely right. Let me, let me tell you this. As we seek to obey, God does something that we can never do and that is he changes us at the most basic level. We can't change our hearts, but we can seek to obey God in the strength of his spirit, and as we demonstrate that effort and that willingness to change, God changes us. The best way to kill lying is by becoming known for telling the truth. Where do you start? Well, you start by confessing and forsaking the sin of lying. It's a serious thing, as we'll see in a moment. It's not a little thing. We can laugh about some of those things in the list I read earlier on, but it's not a light thing to God. Confess and forsake the sin of lying, but don't stop there. Secondly, confess and forsake the sins of the heart that are behind that lie. You see, when we lie, that's an external action, really. There's some sin of the heart that led us to that lie. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but let me just give you a couple of examples. Why did Abraham lie about Sarah, his wife? Because he was afraid. He was afraid of what might happen to him if he told the truth. He might end up getting killed, and sometimes when we lie, it's out of fear of what might happen, the consequences of telling the truth. What about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? Why did they lie about that Piece of land and the full price because they wanted to look good. They wanted everybody to think that they were actually bringing the entire proceeds of the land and laying it at the apostles' feet. And so they lied. They lied simply because their pride wanted them to look good. Sometimes we do the same thing we lie, we make up stories about ourselves and how great we once were to make ourselves look good. So we can't just deal with the fruit of lying we must deal with the root which is the sin of the heart that led us down the path to lie and thirdly we must determine before God and with his help not to deny or contradict the truth in the future we must choose to get on the path of obedience that's how you start to deal with the sin of lying and telling the truth we must all become known as truth tellers. Now, let me give you a couple of warnings. You see, when some people hear that you need to tell the truth, they take that and they warp it a little bit. Let me give you several warnings about telling the truth, what this doesn't mean. Speaking the truth, number one, is no excuse for brutal and brash communication. Absolutely no excuse for using words like a sledgehammer to beat other people up. Yesterday, my daughter brought a cartoon into my office while I was studying it was of a wife asking her husband the question that every husband dreads honey does this dress make me look fat well in the cartoon the second frame the man responds and I don't suggest that you try this at home men his response was no your fat makes you look fat the last frame in the cartoon shows the man bloodied and near death, and the little balloon coming out of his mouth is so much for candor. That's not what we're talking about. The Bible tells us we are to speak the truth in what? Love, Ephesians 4.15. So it's not a license to use brutal and brash communication. Let me give you a second warning about telling the truth. Telling the truth does not require you to break or a confidence or reveal legitimate secrets. Number three, it does not demand, and this was a key one, that we dump all our bad attitudes and hatreds on those whom we we dislike. You know, we have all this stuff inside us. Well, I'm just going to be honest. Let me tell you what I think about you, buddy. I'm just being honest. The Bible told me to be honest. We should instead confess our wrong attitudes and seek to put them off. That's not honesty. That's pseudo honesty it's actually hatred and warning number four while we are readily to admit that we sin truthfulness does not require us to broadcast detailed accounts of our sin to those who don't know about the sin and are not part of the solution you only need to reveal the sin to those against whom you've sinned seeking their forgiveness or those who can genuinely be part of the solution Again, not the fact that you sin, but the details of the sin. Now, notice this command is for all of us. It's for every professing believer. Back in verse 25, he says, Speak truth, each one of you. In context, of course, this is referring to every believer receiving Paul's letter. And If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, he wrote to all the saints in Ephesus. So none of us are exempt from this, folks. If you profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ, this is for you. And then the next phrase, with his neighbor, defines the limits of our responsibility. We're only to speak the truth with our neighbor. Well, who's our neighbor? Jesus defined our neighbor as everybody we come in contact with. So in other words, God demands that every believer's interaction with every person he, and, he or she encounters be without falsehood and be characterized by the truth. Why? Why? Well, in context, Paul only gives us one argument for always telling the truth. Notice the end of the verse. We are members of one another. He relies on that image that he loves of the church as a body, and like a body has many members. He says, listen, we're all members of the same body. How can, how can one member of the body lie to another member of the body? Not only is lying a violation of God's law, but it causes trouble and friction and conflict in the body. Chrysostom, the first able expositor of the word back in the early church, says, said this, if the eye sees a serpent, does it deceive the foot? If the tongue tastes what is bitter, does it deceive the stomach? A part of our body doesn't ordinarily deceive the rest of our body. But there are other compelling biblical arguments for rejecting all forms of lying not only that we're members of one another but let me give you briefly five biblical arguments against lying it's very important that you understand this because it's so much a part of our culture it's accepted happens all around us and we are easily sucked into it five more biblical arguments against lying of all forms and the necessity of embracing the truth
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with Part 7 of his series, The One and Others. Tom will bring you Part 8 on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at one eight seven seven five seven seven word And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.